Welcome to another episode of Let Me Tell You Something, and it's been a special one for us now, because as you know, for the whole year, we've been watching every match that we can find that Dave Meltzer has rated five stars or higher to discuss, and we are at match 100. Unfortunately, we haven't covered a couple of the matches of that 100, but this is the 100th match itself that Dave Meltzer has given five stars or higher to, and the or higher is a factor not in this match itself, but because it's a result of one of those all higher matches. I'm your co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is my co-host... Simon Cross. So, Simon, what match are we covering? We are covering uh, the Alpha versus the Omega. Chris Jericho taking on Kenny Omega to be for the right to be called the best in the world. Also for the IWGP US title as well. A recently born title i think omega's only defended it once since winning it at this point maybe twice um yeah it would have been at least once because he beat juice robinson in the match after juice had beat him in the g1 climax so that was a title he won in between the dominion 60 minute time limit draw with kazuchika okada and the g1 climax in august it was the g1 special event that was held in america as like a precursor to the climax event itself beating tomohiro ishii in the final in Long Beach, wasn't it? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So, what I was saying is that it's funny that this is the 100th match and the 90th match have been the six-star match between Omega and Okada, which brought a lot of new eyes to New Japan, made Omega a much bigger star, and made you know New Japan Wrestling a more prominent uh, promotion. And if you want an example of its prominence, is the sheer fact that they've been able to book... Chris Jericho a year later to double main event Wrestle Kingdom against Omega whilst Okada fought um, Omega's G1 final uh, winning opponent Tetsuya Naito and that whole double main event controversy feeding into the subsequent Naito-Jericho feud that then took over the next year of Naito and Jericho's New Japan story. God, Naito just can't catch a break, can he? No. Anytime you main events. Ah, oh, yeah, but you're not the full main event. Oh, fuck you, man. <laughs> well, Naito probably is more tranquilo than that, but you get the idea. But what's also funny is that this is Tokyo, Japan. Thousands of miles, literally thousands of miles away from a not particularly huge city in Canada, Manitoba, known as Winnipeg. And yet both of these men who make up claims to being the best in the world both hail from Winnipeg, you idiot, in <laughs> Manitoba. A total population of 705,244 at the most recent, uh, uh, most recent polling. It's the seventh most highly populated city in Canada. Can you name... The other six above it, Simon. Take a guess. Toronto. Correct. Uh, Vancouver. No, Vancouver is eighth. Oh, mother. Edmonton. Yes. Calgary. Yep, this is where your wrestling knowledge comes into effect. 
I'm using ice hockey actually oh, in my okay. head. Uh, Toronto. You already said Toronto. Ah, oh, so I've had Toronto, Edmonton, and Calgary as successful guesses. Yep, Toronto first, Calgary third, Edmonton fifth. Uh, Montreal. Yes, second. You're missing the capital and another city that you would genuinely probably never heard of. I apologise to all people from this uh, province of Ontario. It's, to be fair, a suburb of Toronto as well. Oh, I'm going to hate myself for not getting the capital. I give up. Ottawa. (laughs) Fuck! And Mississauga. Yeah, I never would have got Mississauga. Ottawa I should have got. Yeah. Sorry if everyone's ears there. So I really care about knowing capitals. Uh, Saskatoon comes 19th. Oof. Where's Kinsolato? That's what I want to know. Anyway. (laughs) But the town's not very big. And and out of sheer luck, out of six, possibly seven closer to this point, billion people in the world, the two best wrestlers in the world, or two people that have got substantial claims to that throne... Hail from the same area of the world. And, as does the man providing Carmel a commentary for the match as well. Don Callis. Callis. Winnipeg's taking over! (laughs) It's like uh, how in Vienna, uh, that means nothing to me, the 20s or something like that, Stalin, Marx, Freud, Tito, uh, Engels, and loads of people. Uh, no, Tito is in the Yugoslavian dictator. Oh, We're all living in Vienna at the same time. Mm. Well, let's get back to wrestling. Anyway, <laughs> what is funny watching this match, like I said, is that this is New Japan reaching a new level of mainstream audience. I think this was Jericho's first non-WWE match since 1999. Yes. Yes, I'm sure of that. Yes. And in that same year, he did have a brief uh, run, or maybe it was late 98, in New Japan. Uh, He and Eddie Guerrero teamed up to challenge for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles. Didn't quite succeed in that. But that's that's where Jericho comes from. And I think there's also significance to that as well, just the sheer age of Jericho at this point. Because it's very obvious that Omega has to work around Jericho's physical limitations... Yes. And he can't wrestle at a pace and an intensity that he does with Kazuchika Okada. And that's not me having a go at Chris Jericho. That's just how time and... Ravages us all. Yeah, and, and living a rock and roll lifestyle also may not allow you to, you know. Yeah. Um, but if Jericho was Okada's a... age, he yeah. would have done yeah. Well, I think Okada's an athletic freak and Jericho was never quite as gifted as Okada in in that regards but he does have a he still has a good drop kick there's a moment in this match where he does an Okada-esque drop kick to um Kenny Omega mid springboard where he hits him on the knee as a really to send good moment. Omega flying so they work within the limitations of Jericho and Jericho like the whole thing about Jericho that everyone always uh, uh gives him rightful credit to is his adaptability over the years like you know, what, six months earlier at this point, everyone's just going crazy for him saying someone's made the list. <laughs> and there is none of that Jericho here. He is wrestling's Madonna. And you know who Quite he, simply. You know who he reminds me of the most in this whole match? Terry Funk. Oh, okay. Like sort of wild man. Yeah, wild, older man. 
having to use more shortcuts because he can't quite physically do what he used to be able to do, but still getting you drawn in and, and using more hard violence. And, and, you know, that brawling around the ring announcers area that you see for a long stretch is a very old school. That was the sort of stuff that Stan Hansen and Hulk Hogan did in their match yeah. in the Tokyo Dome in 1990. And, you know, all that sort of brawling that we saw from the Funks and Brody and Hansen and, you know, it was a very easy way to get around a, a double count out or something back in the day. Mm. Uh, or Abdullah the Butcher, you know, it's it's very much along those lines. And I don't know if it's intentional or not, but the loss of the commentary for a brief yeah, period yeah. as well, that gives it an older vibe, like a, a throwbacky vibe. But yeah, Omega's throwing himself around the place, and it's also, he's very much the baby face of this match, and Jericho is the, like, he's doing old school heel antics, riling up the crowd. At one point, he does the old cocky Shawn Michaels corner pose at one stage. <laughs> he gets a chair out. He literally, you know, there's there's juice in this match. Omega blades himself, and they do the classic. He hits him into the, he like rams his head into the chair in the corner, and then distracts everyone with his showmanship whilst Omega's in the corner there getting the right cut above the gigging himself the to use wrestler using all. the gimmick and everything and uh, and then Jericho working over the cut to get more blood into his forehead area and everything well that was sort of like the pre-match storyline is that he busted Omega open with his own belt yeah yeah but he's drawn blood before yeah and like you say he's using every shortcut in the book that he can both as a performer, but also as a heel. Like, he is doing classic heel tactics. But he's also able to do, like, intricate reversal sequences at various points. He takes a V-trigger full-on in the face at various points. Yes. As Oof. well. Um, Some of them are brutal to not, look at. Not, none of them look quite as amazing as the ones he hits, like, Okada or Naito with. But they're still pretty Good. hard. And he takes some nasty... But like, the final bump he took in this match, uh, a one-winged angel onto a chair... I think he said that's the most pain and discomfort he's ever been in in a match after that, after taking that. And this is a man that's taken thumbtack bumps. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But that's a superficial pain. That's more of a you know. I think it was also like because it's funny because they incorporate the chairs and the tables into this match, and again, it's just that thing of yeah. Japanese hardware is a little bit different. Like those chairs aren't necessary design for hitting people with because the seats go flying at various points oh when that when he hits uh and the, him with the chair and the middle of it just comes out and he's yeah. just left with the frame and i like how he adapts to that and then jams him in the back with the frame uh reminiscent yeah. of when a uh, sheep heard a butch jammed the new zealand flag into the back of one of the fantastics yeah or how every first chair shot now goes in wwe after the no headshot thing it's like jab to the gut chair to the back what do you think of the no dq stipulation again it's like i said it's, it's a very non-japanese sort of match um and like i said all the way back in the old bruiser brody stan hansen uh funks match that was like japanese seeing like a, a stereotypical american vision of like as a bar fight brawl i guess this uh, i think it's quite fitting that, that they put a bit of a canadian slant on it because it opens with a hockey fight yeah them grabbing each other's head and just pounding away. Not that convincingly, I must say, at times. I don't think Omega's... Omega's fine, but I don't think he's naturally suited to the brawling style. Mm. He's out of his element, which is a story within the match itself. That, like, Jericho drags him down to his level. 
Yeah, and I think that's part of the no DQ thing as well, is that like Jericho's goaded him in, so Jericho's more at home yeah. by making it no DQ. Uh, obviously, from a storyline perspective, it gives Jericho those shortcuts, those platforms, uh, to those little bits to work with. It does confuse me that this scene... They sort of honour rope breaks sometimes, but still don't well, honour rope breaks at sometimes. Like, either do it or don't. Like, a this, there's a half and half. Yeah, that was a big contention point. I remember Edge and Christian discussing it on their podcast. To be fair, it happens twice, really. Early on, Omega gets is in the walls of Jericho and reaches the rope, and the referee's telling him to break, and Jericho's saying, it's no DQ, it's no DQ. And it's a genuine think of maybe Red Shoes has made a mistake there. Maybe he shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And then it's more like, oh, well, there's rules and then there's etiquette or something. But yeah. also, the way I looked at it with the second one, really at the end of the match, when he's got him in the walls, and there's a moment where Omega looks like he's gone out, uh, reminiscent of the Naito, Tanahashi, G1 Climax, A Block final, where he looks like he's out and then just suddenly he like, wakes back up and, and reaches the ropes. It also, you got to remember, ropes are also used as a sign of leverage. Like when someone yeah. holds a submission hold in, like Ric Flair with the figure four, he'll use the ropes as leverage. And it, it looks to me like you could read it as, and I don't think they say it in the, episode, in the match, and I don't even know if that was Jericho's intention as well. But because he was holding on the ropes and he was able to pull himself towards them. That he that, was losing the grip. He was, Jericho was losing the grip and the positioning anyway, and he just basically lost control of the hold because of how Omega did it. And it's better to let go than be like pulled out the ring. Yeah. But that is also an element of me looking for excuses. But I think you could sell it. That's that's a Regal Explains way around it, the situation. Yeah. Uh, psychologically, that makes sense. I get where you're coming from. Mm. Uh, I don't think that's what they did, but yeah. it's... But like I said, like, like I, I don't know if they're breathers or what, but like it's not constant motion like you know Omega and Okada will do or Omega and Naito mm. where there's except for like the opening sort of bits at the start and and maybe some double down moments Jericho constantly yelling at the crowd and everything i think that's a bit of like them being able to stretch it out without having to engage physically as much as you would expect and there's more prolonged periods of selling and everything from both yeah. men and like the <laughs> Jericho just being a, like he's just so great at being a dick, like mm. attacking the referee's son. Yeah, yeah, that was brilliant. And just like little moments, like him yelling at Chono whilst he was setting up the table. And uh, Chono is someone that he genuinely had history with. Uh, they wrestled each other at Sold Out '97 in the the NWO's only pay per view. So they actually do have history with one another and. So yeah, and now we get into that finishing straight at this point, um, where, again, like, Jericho, I think he should be commended that he can keep up with the style of a New Japan finish, with the big moves and the sudden exchanges, but like, yet again, the pace that they're going at is not like Omega going up against Okada or, or Naito, like, there's a moment in this match where Omega sprints to the ropes, and you realise what pace... He usually goes at like the snapdragons don't necessarily always snap that much. Although Jericho takes some nasty bumps, you know, no, no disrespect to him. Yeah, I mean, on any time you take like a bump off the top rope for a Japanese table, you've got to be applauded for like you know being willing to do that. There's a really good example here. They repeat a spot from an Omega Naito match where Jericho sets up for a top rope rana. 
Omega escapes and then Jericho takes like a face bump onto the um, ring, onto the top of the buckle. Like ah, Naito yes, but, uh, takes that, like his legs are in midair. There is, it, like, it is pure face and jaw that's taking the whiplash of that bump. Whereas I think yeah. Jericho sort of steadies his arms, his feet land on the on the mat around the same time, and that's not me having to go at Jericho. He's wrestling in the Tokyo Dome at forty six. I don't know that Naito is going to be able to say he can do the same thing. You know, he may not be physically capable, depending yeah, exactly. on the bumps he takes. That's the point. Um, but no, Jericho. Jericho is always very good at, uh, especially in the like later half of his career, of making sure if he does have to take a bump that it counts and it matters. Mm. Like you've got a like they they often say you have a cut a bump card and when it's filled it's filled. So yeah. that's that's why they try and avoid filling it. Ric Flair just seems to keep going for re ups. I don't know how he manages Ugh. that, but yeah. Um. Also, God, we, get, we get Jericho doing something that only Okada's done before, and that's break the pin of a one-winged angel. But like Okada, it's through a rope break. Yeah. Although now, he grabs the rope as opposed to Okada's putting his foot on the rope. Yeah. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm, going, I'm reading too much into something, but does that like show like the extra nous of a veteran, the fact that he used his arm, is that what they're trying to convey there? That he's wily, he's got that wily ring presence. Maybe that, but also I think when Okada did it, Okada was further away from the ropes compared to Jericho. And it's really because of his height that he's able to get those legs onto the, onto the rope. Whereas Jericho yeah. is, you know, about five foot 10 or so. so True. And, and so Jericho, so Omega needs to be closer to the ropes anyway. And, you know, Jericho doesn't have the length of leg to do the, uh, getting the road. To do the drapage. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But he, um, oh, he does have that innate ability throughout just to seem like he's a threat, even though he is 46 years old. Like, he doesn't, you're right, he doesn't look out of place. Just not purely just from an athletic point of view, but from, um, Conveying himself as a legitimate threat to Omega, mainly through. It has to be said that like, he. I, I think that now comes into it well, more. That's the recurring. Theme He's able of this to outthink. Yeah, that's the recurring yeah. theme of this match. Jericho has to use his wits because he can't match Omega move for move, pace for pace anymore. So he's got to use yeah. his brain, and he's got to be more ruthless in in the way that he, he will use underhanded tactics. You know, the first thing he does in the match, one of the first things he does in the match is throw the ref in front of Omega to allow him to get him. Which he didn't need to do, given that it was a no-DQ match. But you know what I mean? Even like yeah. him, the fact that he baited Omega into the no-DQ stip as well. I thought there's also, like I said at the start, this was very symbolic of what New Japan had managed to expand to in the previous year, thanks in, in large part to Omega's six-star match with Okada. Um, and I thought there was a very telling moment, actually, that when... After Jericho uh, is able to get the ropes to not get pinned off of the one-winged angel, they do a brief shot. Which I also say there are some shots of the stadium that look fantastic. It, like it looks like a huge crowd. They claim in the forty thousands or so. Like in the past, there's been less than twenty thousand at that place, and so you've got to do very specific lighting to make it not look Ugh. like a quarter. You know, a one-third full arena, a one-third full dome stadium show. 
That sounds like an Omega Tribute Axe finisher. <laughs> but what I what I love is the um, there's a moment then when the camera cuts to the crowd from the back, and there are like three foreign fans, three white guys yeah. who realise they're on camera and immediately start mugging to the camera whilst everyone that seems to be a Japanese fan is very much not behaving like that. <laughs> Just like, who are these people and why are they being so uncouth? I remember, I remember reading that it was either at this dome show or the pre or the next one because I don't know if you noticed like during the match Jericho when he's taunting the crowd he does that mockery mocking the female fans going Kenny Kenny yeah apparently there were American or, or just foreign fans doing that <laughs> just in the crowd to their own amusement and no one else's oh dear Aren't Westerners the best? No. <laughs> As a Westerner, I can say that. Uh, anyway. These two Westerners duking it out in Japan. I mean, you got to take that into account as well. Two Canadians, but, you know, North Americans getting the second biggest match of a Japanese promotion. And like I said, so much of Jap- New Japan have been built around, even when it was very gaijin heavy at the start. This sort of native um, nationalistic pride, you know, born from what Ricky Dozan was all about as well. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, but on the flip side, I know it's not the same promotion, but um, All Japan did promote, obviously, Hanson, Dr. Death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there have been guys in big, big, big uh, Yeah, I'm not disputing that, but it's places. always been the native that was the true star of the promotion. And True. it was defined always by the native against the Gaijin, whereas this is Gaijin, Gaijin, that we haven't seen really since the days of Hansen and Brody against the Funks. Yeah. No, that's a fair point because you're right. I, I could I could never really point to Hansen or Williams at the time that we watched the matches involving those guys and say that they were the number one guy in all Japan purely because their number one guy was... Possibly one of the greatest people that's ever like laced boots. And, that, and that's still the case with this one. Like Omega is still number two to Okada, and maybe number three to Naito, depending on how you as a fan viewed it at this time. Um, but I'm just saying, like, there's significance to the fact that this wouldn't have happened in New Japan even a couple of years before. Yeah. But well, any- yes. No, no. Omega has has changed the landscape of New Japan, mm. but in in the two year pit in that. Yeah, if you give him that two-year period. So the finish is... long. Yeah, so the finish is Omega does a V-trigger. Then he does, you know, very late into the matches, You Can't Escape, which is something that usually comes quite early in, a, in an Omega match. Yeah. But um, that allows him to moonsault it, like, into a Jericho code breaker. Or Jericho moves out of the way and, and then hits the code breaker. And that gets a long two count, his other finisher, which I don't think had as much significance in Japan, maybe necessarily. But then he puts on the Lion Tamer, or he goes to put on the Lion Tamer, and Omega just throws a chair at his face. <laughs> and what I love is that he like then V-triggers him onto the chair. He doesn't like place the chair, he just goes where the chair landed and does the finisher and gets the three counts. Which I think I said already, Jericho said is the most painful move he's taken in a match, or the most discomfort he's felt in a match. Oof. And he's like done TLC mm. matches as well, as you said, uh, and like, you know, all sorts. So Ooh. I enjoyed this, but I wouldn't give it five stars. I think, you know, 
the fact that it is the only Jericho match to ever be given five stars by Dave Meltzer is crazy when you think of this stage of his career. And I can think of at least like four or five WWE matches that Jericho did that I would rate higher than this match. Care to give any examples? Uh, the tag team match with Chris Benoit against Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I loved the No Mercy, I think it was, 2001 match for the WCW World title between him and The Rock. I love okay. that match. Uh, those are two the two most immediate ones that spring to mind. Maybe maybe also the ladder match he had with Chris Benoit at Royal Rumble 2001. That is a good match. Uh, and some of the matches he had with Triple H in 2000 as well. Yeah. there's uh, He speaks very highly of the world title match he had with Shawn Michaels in 2007, which was a ladder match. I think Vincent Manners said that's his favourite ladder match or something to those words to those effects. Yeah. It's a long time since I watched that. But um, yeah, look, it's it's a it's a great match, but it's not to me. It's not five star match to you, Simon. Is it a five star match? Not quite. It's no. it is it is a very good match, and it is impressive to see Jericho. Jericho is again. I, I I've said it already on this, but I'll, I you just got to hammer it home. He is wrestling's Madonna. There's he he just changes and adapts and reinvents, and the fact he's continuing to do so, and he has now obviously got moved on to um, AEW and, you know, has found a home there. It's quite remarkable. Like, no, like a lot of the people around him either left whilst they were still hot and never burnt themselves out or just grew stale. And he's managed to not do either of those things. He's managed to keep going and still be fresh and relevant. Well, that's been a, another match. A year on. Ten matches on from the six-star match. This is what it's all brought us to. And that means that the next episode, having now done a hundred matches, or attempted to do one of the hundred matches we could watch, we've got another debrief. And so we're plucking the top ten percent for us personally from each from those one hundred matches, and then making a definitive five from those one hundred as well. If people want to get in touch with you, Simon, and maybe influence you before you cast your final ballots, how can they do Ooh. so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for possibly the amount of chairs that got at least at least the amount of chairs that got broken during this match. Very good. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U W L A for Alberta, N for Nova Scotia. That's Wait. my Twitter handle. That's my Instagram account. That's my Facebook letterboxed. If you want to get in touch with me, put an at gmail.com at the end of it. If you want to get in touch with the show, it's lmtyspod at gmail.com. Lmtyspod is also our Twitter handle. We have a Facebook page as well. We'd love you to like, and then we might bother updating it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, what do we got? Then we've just got the debrief to come up now. I don't think there's anything left for me to say. Is there anything for you to say, Simon? Uh, no, there's nothing left for me to say except my name's his name's Lorcan Mullen. Oh, do you want to go again? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm happy. Okay. My name is Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. I'll have a city. There's no easy way out. The day's just too fast for me.